When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get started with this week's show, we just want to let all of our listeners know that over at Book Riot, we're giving away $500 worth of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction, selected by our own Kelly Jensen. She is a former YA librarian and currently Book Riot's YA expert, among many other things. Included on this list are books like Leah on the Offbeat by Becky Albertalli, Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, and The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. And that is just a few of them. If you would like to see the whole list, and enter to win $500 worth of the year's best YA books so far, go to bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway. That's the number 500. Bookriot.com slash 500YA giveaway to enter by July 31st. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 268, and we are recording on Thursday, July 5th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. I'd say we're braining at about, I don't even know what percentage, because it's like we're 100% here, but this working (laughs) after the 4th of July, like we've been talking about on the staff slack, just everyone feels a little off. Like maybe we've had like one of the two pills in a NyQuil dose. Like it feels something like that. (laughs) I was going to say, I feel a little like jet lagged, but one of the two NyQuil pills is a good, (laughs) that is also a good comparison. (laughs) I feel like this maybe should be a standard unit of fogginess is like, how many NyQuil pills are you right now? Like a you know half what it is? up to nine. It, <laughs> nine. Yeah. Or is it like that time you were accidentally taking Tylenol PM during I don't think I've told that daytime. story. It's not oh. quite that bad. Um, the, long, the, the short version of this embarrassing Jeff story is, I think it was after my, my second kid was born and I was you know at home taking care of her. And it's a tired time. I don't know if you've heard. Probably no one's ever had kids that told you about <laughs> how tired you get. I am familiar with this notion. So let me, let me break the news that you're tired when you have a newborn. Um, and I, some, I was going through a period where I'm tired and I'm t- I was taking Tylenol in the afternoons. And after, but anyway, I was telling Michelle a couple weeks in, I was like, you know, I know we're supposed to be tired and I'm ready to be tired. But man, I can't keep my eyes open in the afternoons. I'm having the hardest time. And she's like, yeah, boy, what are you taking? I was like, well, taking the Tylenol in the cupboard. She's like, what Tylenol in the cupboard? <laughs> so, you know, the, the blue ones. It's like, the, those, are, those are nighttime Tylenol. So <laughs> essentially for about two weeks, in an effort to combat my tiredness headaches, I'd been taking <laughs> Tylenol PM at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and wondering um, why I was so freaking tired. So that's, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Right there. Oh man. Yeah, I feel kind of like I took a NyQuil, I fell asleep, and I got woken up like a couple hours yeah. in. You yeah. know, I got into weekend mode, but it was a Wednesday, and now I'm out. I mean, interesting it's, we're not describing this as feeling like we're having a relaxed work day. We're feeling we're feeling non 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 together. Yeah, I I don't feel together. I yeah. want to be having a like a fully functional work day. I have a full work day's list of things to accomplish, but, but my brain is you worked is like, yesterday though. Like nothing should be weird for you because you worked yesterday. Well, but I was like, so I worked like a half day oh. and I was working on projects with the contributors for some things that are coming up, but it wasn't like a sitting down, going through a full task list thing, you know? And like then in the background, I was watching Steel Magnolias. Mm. Like it was, I, it wasn't a fully buttoned up work day, but somehow I feel like I have fewer buttons today than I yeah. had yesterday. You know, it'd be just... funny, like, you, it feels like certain days of the week have their own personalities, like Fridays, Mondays, whatever, but, mm-hmm. I, and this is, would be, this wouldn't pass whatever that um, research on humans form you have to fill out when you're doing a human <laughs> thing, but, like, could you put someone, like, a, in, a, in a coma for, like, a week, and then just, like, randomly wake them up, don't tell them what day it is, and have them just go out to the world and see if they could guess what day it is. Oh, what just, day just of on the, the week does it feel like? Yeah, is, and, yeah. like, what, what uh, percentage of uh, positive identifications can people do um i feel like mine would be high for mondays and fridays i, mm-hmm. I feel like tuesday wednesday and thursday i'd, I'd have a 
I don't know if yeah. I find, I also don't work in an office, so that I think that would hinder me as well. I feel like I would have, I have a good spidey sense for a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, that's true. That's but a good this one. this is, today is, it's, today is weird. Yeah. And that's just where, that's just where we are. So who knows how this is going to go, but here we we're are. We're here for we're all here. your weird date content here on the Book Riot podcast <laughs> this week. Let's do our first sponsor, then we'll talk about, you know, right. Book Riot podcast stuff. Our first sponsor this week is Legendary by Stephanie Garber. This is from Flatiron Books, and it is the follow-up to Caraval from last summer. After being swept up in the magical world of Caraval, Donatella Dragna has finally escaped her father and saved her sister Scarlet from a disastrous arranged marriage. The girls should be celebrating, but Tella isn't yet free. She made a desperate bargain with a mysterious criminal, and the time to repay the debt has come. So this is the story that began with Caraval last year, which garnered a lot of comparisons to the night circus it was called spellbinding wondrous imaginative so if you've read it and you've been waiting for the sequel now your wait is over if you're finding yourself here on a weird day in july looking for a couple magical books to read in the middle of a heat wave you got two now you can pick up caraval and legendary by stephanie garber wherever books are sold or click a link to check it out in our show notes mm. again that is legendary by stephanie garber uh, first story that we got a couple of follow up this week. This I, I I've lost track of other shoe. How many other shoes there are to drop in the various stories we've been tracking? But this shoe dropped. Um, you might remember we covered uh, things being a foul and a foot at the AWP. Um, this time, Christian Terizi, the longtime director of conference at the Associated Writers and Writing Programs, has left the literary organization in order to pursue other interests. Uh, <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. You may recall was involved, implicated in some of the allegations about things going on against former executive director uh, David Fenza, who was terminated a few months ago back in March. The story ADWP is telling is that he was offered a different role on the conference team, a demotion, a whatever else it might have been. He chose not to take it again. I look at all of these kinds of languages as very suspect. This might be the this might be the story they've put together to agree upon to tell other people for all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, interim executive director Chloe Schwenke, I would guess, is how you say that. I don't know. Maybe you mm-hmm. know Rebecca says that she has right. no information regarding the allegation against him and declined to respond <laughs> when asked whether the complaints um, Publishers Weekly reported played any role. In right. Departure. So. PW reported on allegations of yeah. gender discrimination, bullying, and retaliation um, from a, no- a number of former AWP employees against Terezi. So, like, I believe zero that the new executive director knows nothing. This has NDA written all over it to me. Like, uh, an it, NDA slash severance agreement. It like, super does. And it, it also has, like, you know, when someone's being forced to retire yeah. and they get to say that they're retiring in order to spend more time with their family. <laughs> right. Like, I just got accused of a bunch of crappy bad behaviors offered a job that I don't want. And so I'm leaving to pursue other interests. Like this Mm -hmm. is definitely code for things went down and everyone agreed not to talk about it. Yeah. And that we have a severance agreement where I won't say anything and you won't say anything. And even if you were asked to say uh, things that have been widely reported in the publishing media, (laughs) you can't even claim to have any knowledge of those. So again, I think that's maybe immaterial at this point. I think this is good. It sounds like the new, Mm um, uh, promoter, the director of conferences named Cynthia Sherman. She was previously director of exhibits and associate director of conferences. Um, you know, it sounds like this was w- maybe where this should land. So it yeah, just did. Yeah, I think this is a net good. It's, I find it frustrating for there to be this kind of language and these ND, like clearly where NDAs are being yeah. signed and information isn't getting out because the, I think the ultimate best thing is for everything to get dragged into the light of day. Right. Um, that is the best possible punishment to people who have done bad things. It is also, I think, the best deterrent um, of you can't get away with stuff anymore. Look what's happening. It's all getting dragged into the light of day. But ultimately, like the guys who are doing these things, losing their jobs and new positions being created, um, new people being promoted, the change is still happening. We're still Mm -hmm. getting the, uh, you know, it's a net good. It's a good result. Um, I find it frustrating to not have, you know, everything out there. But push comes to shove. I'm going to take 
person loses job, right. signs an NDA. We don't get the details over right. a person gets to stay in position that uh, possibly allows them to continue doing things to people in yeah. abuse of their position of power. Um, this reminds me sort of uh, obliquely of something I wanted to follow up on of last week's show. We were talking about uh, the Vita stats and mm. expre- consternation is the wrong word, but a little bit of... Um, I don't know, a, a bit of a seven-year itch with the Vita count of like, we've done this for a while, here's where we are. One thing that occurred to me later that 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 is, I think connected to this story a little bit is even if the continuing count of the Vita doesn't feel like it's producing change, I think one effect that's valuable that we didn't really talk about is the confirmation, especially for women authors and women reviewers, that yes you aren't getting the same coverage. Right. Yes, you aren't getting the same opportunity to write about it. So it's like, like a counter gaslight, whatever the opposite of gaslighting is, I guess it's just regular light. <laughs> I don't even know. It's just regular <laughs> heat and light on the issue. I think that is important and should absolutely continue just to remind people to have a external principle to when people say, ah, you know, I don't, women, you're just complaining about women's covers. Like, and you can point out and says, no, you're wrong. That's garbage. This is the numbers. I think maybe some of what I feel, maybe you're saying you feel like about, you wish it could have the full, there's a certain, I I don't know if it's gaslighting because it's not really intentional, but like there's a certain element of denial or sweeping under the rug for this guy to be able to say, or this story to go down, he's leaving the organization to prove other interests. The incoming Mm -hmm. director can't say anything, or the interim director can't say anything, has to sort of do this weird lie, I guess, or whatever this is about has no information, won't respond, that's part of like the gaslighting cloud that goes on around these sorts of things. Like it's denial, it's obfuscation, it's, I guess, misdirecting. Yeah, it's, like that's it's part, part of, of it. It's part of the structure and the system that props up, almost always it's men, right. um, in positions of power, abusing their positions of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being accused of things like gender discrimination, bullying, and retaliation in this guy's case. So it, that that is, yes, what I find intensely frustrating. And in a sort of public interactions way, having things like the Vita count uh, isn't, is very useful when you're talking about like publishing has a diversity problem. Publishing has right. a gender problem. The very first thing that people say is like, well, what, what kind of evidence do you have? And right. it gives you evidence to hold up. Well, here is a count. Have you counted? Yes. In fact, someone has counted. Here you go. Uh, it's re- it is really nice to have that. And I do remember kind of what a relief it was the first yeah. year of Vita to be like, oh, there is evidence. And it supports the experience and the sense that so many women and minorities have in publishing of, mm. um, of not getting you know, equal access, um, not getting proportional representation, uh, and having that is very nice. But yeah, it's an interesting contrast, I think, to have the Vita count and sort of have those like counter gaslighting yeah. measures up against something like, yes, this person was accused of all of these things, but and yes, he is leaving his position, but no, we won't acknowledge the the apparently true reasons for it. Right. And so then in talking about it, we have to do this meta commentary of like, he's leaving for this stated reason, but then we have to also go back to report on the things that happened before, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it is, as long as we keep in mind, like to what the reports are, what the media is, and they give the context of it. Um, that's, I guess, can counteract some of yeah. the, it makes you wonder how, like how far down the turtles go. Like did the, people who made these accusations against him also have to sign NDAs in this process. Like, because if the, if it's just the organization's director and this guy who are under NDA to say like, well, I'm leaving for a personal interest and I have no information about it. There is a chance that someone who had an experience with him could come forward and say like, well, these are the things, you know? Um, But it, it makes you wonder, I just am curious, I guess if there are NDAs, we'll never know. And if there aren't, then someone might come forward with a story um, or a personal experience, but it makes it harder when the organization like, is kind of supporting the guy still. Like he doesn't have a job, but his reputation is not getting dragged through the mud in the way that yeah, I don't know. if you are found to have done these things, your reputation deserves uh, to And be. on this point, like if you mm-hmm. have a story about this dude now, say you did, 
he's already gone. You maybe are doing the mental algebra of as as unfortunately people have to do about is mm-hmm. it worth it at this point? He's 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 lost his job. Everyone pretty much would can surmise why maybe the maybe this cat has been skinned. I don't know. I mean, I could see someone also just keeping it to themselves because like what good is it now at this point? They're not in that position anymore. Not that well, the, not that there aren't reasons to do it, but it seems to me one reason to tell these stories initially at least is to get that person out of the position where they can do this crap to other people. Mm-hmm. Now that that um now that that is not an issue right now, if it were me, I would think I, I would have a harder time doing the p- mental algebra of what it costs to tell your story, um, because it's he's out of the position. I don't know that that's I could see that happening too. Uh, this is a cool story. I don't know why I didn't think about this and all the talk we did about the Nobel Prize and mm. all of its p- problems that it was having and like. I even thought about uh, and mused at, at great length, much to maybe some of your chagrin about what the Nobel could look like differently. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but an alternative Nobel has sprung up in, in the uh, space in the ecosystem that the lack of a 2018 Nobel has left. And this is, I think this is really cool. I really like this. I'm curious to hear what you about it too. I think it's really cool too. And it didn't occur to me either when we were talking about all the ways that the Nobel could shake out that like a crowdsourced solution or like, or an activist solution could happen, but that's what has happened. Um, More than a hundred Swedish writers, actors, journalists, and other cultural figures have formed a group that they're referring to themselves as the new Academy, which is going to hand out its own award this autumn following Mm -hmm. the same timeline as the Nobel. Um, And they say that they have founded it to remind people that literature and culture at large should promote democracy, transparency, empathy, and respect without privilege, bias, arrogance, or sexism. And they consider what they are doing here to be um, a protest, an act of protest. Uh, In awarding this prize, we're staging a protest. We want to show people that serious cultural work does not have to occur in a context of coercive language, irregularities, or abuse. Um, so the award will be given on December 10th. And then on December 11th, the next day, they're going to dissolve the new I Academy. Like I like all I this. Think it'll, they're going to do the thing and then it's going to disappear. Um, and of course it's expected that next year by 2019, the Swedish Academy will announce not just one, but two winners uh, to compensate for not having a winner this year. I really like this too. I like this too. So the structure is this. There's a hundred Swedish cultural figures that are that is the new academy. They're soliciting nominations from any Swedish librarian that wants to nominate someone. So Emily, get 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 your, your oh, yes. Swedish Hi, pen out. Um, and then once nominations have received, there will be a public vote. I don't know how this will happen. Again, I'm sure they're coming up. With, they're, they're putting this together as they go along a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would guess the internet of some kind. But who can vote? We'll keep you. We'll all stay tuned. Um, then the four most popular authors will then be put before a jury. So it's a little crowdsource, a little curation. You could do worse. I'm not sure I would do it myself exactly this way, but whatever. Um, I, I think it's in the ballpark. Uh, and then they will, I don't know what the prize is going to be, even if it's just the notoriety, or yes, notoriety, yeah. wrong word, even if it's just the, the, the publicity, the recognition, yeah. I think it'll be worth something. Maybe there'll be a little money behind it too. And then they're going to dissolve themselves. I would submit that this is better than the regular Academy's way of, of awarding the Nobel Prize, and maybe they could borrow something from them. Well, it's certainly less complicated. Yeah, right. Or it's more transparent. I don't know about complication. If it's just people in a room, how complicated is that necessarily? Well, but all this, like the quora. Oh, the, yeah, right. You can't yep. get out unless you die. All you that can't business. get out unless you die. Um, on December 11th, as you say, it will then be dissolved. It's a pop-up novel, really, is what this yeah. is. Um, fascinating, fascinating story. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. It's smart. Um, I like, especially in this instance, that there's a crowdsourced piece to it that yeah. the public will get to be involved in some way. Um, that's. It also seems to me, whether it's intended or not, to be a, a response to the secretiveness around yeah. how the, the Nobel is awarded. Um, very cool. I w- am looking forward to learning more about who the members of this new academy mm-hmm. are, which books end up being nominated, and what the prize will be. Yeah. Um, 
Very, very cool. If you happen to know anything more about this, we would love to know. Podcast at bookriot.com, and we'll certainly be following this. You know, it makes really me wonder, um, in doing the, the our homework about the annotated episode we did about the Nobel Crisis, I'll put a link in the show notes there, that the connection between the Nobel Foundation and the Swedish Academy that awards the mm. prize, one thing I could never get to the bottom of is could the Nobel Foundation divert the funds to another organization to make the prize? interesting. Could this new academy, if the Nobel Foundation likes what it sees, for example, become the academy that award? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I just don't know. I just don't know. Endowed with the power that the Nobel has and the same money. Yeah, right. Because anyone could give an award. Um, They can't call it the Nobel and they they don't have the funds from the Nobel Foundation to do the million dollars or whatever Mm and the pomp and circumstance. But I'm just wondering as if this is sort of a, um, if they wanted to, could the could the Nobel Foundation say, hey, this is cool. We like this structure better. Peace out, Swedish Academy. We're going with the new Academy. I, I'm curious to, to see if that is if that was possible, that'd be a certain amount of leverage on the Swedish Academy really to get their act together um, insofar as they can because they can't vote. And change. Anyway, they have, their own, they have so many problems that it's almost, uh, it, I, since I laughed, I guess by definition it's laughable and sad at the same time too. I really like that. I, I really like that idea. I'm really curious. If it were up to me, in case you're wondering, I know everyone is, I have to get this off my chest. I think it would be cool if there were four finalists that were nominated by the jury, and then there was a public vote. Mm. Um, especially because presumably these are names that aren't like J.K. Rowling and Stephen King and Harper Lee. Like what we're seeing in you know you know what we see mm-hmm. in Amer- I'm going to speak for America because that's fair and totally representative. Um, that we see in these uh, American polls where the popular ones win. If you got four names that were less known, and mm. then would give people a chance to like find out more about them and then have a vote, that would be an interesting structure as well as well, I think. Um, anyway, then you'd have four people that are the finalists, kind of like you get in some of the other awards where there's a finalist and those people get not quite mm-hmm. the same exposure as the winner, but some, it's not a, yeah. it's not a lose, it's not a, a, a loser's leave town situation like there. Um, I guess let's do a sponsor before we get into the next thing. Cause we might spend a minute on this. Uh, this episode of the book Rap podcast is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon does this. With smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping, Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever well wear. Wear, wear, wear. <laughs> Not only does, do Mack Eldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too, for working out, going to work, going out on dates, just every, you know, things you use clothes for. They, they, they do that. They're clothes. They do good clothes Places things. that you need underwear. Yeah, they covered. even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor, less stink, right? That, that's what we're looking for. with the for. heat wave we're having now, I'm totally in favor of that. I want everything in my life being antimicrobial. I, why are we pro-microbial? <laughs> I guess that's Ed Young. That's Ed Young's, uh, <laughs> that's his beat to say why we should be. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to your clothes... You don't need more microbes in there. You just don't. And if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you no questions asked. Here's the thing. What I like about Milk Weldon, I've got some. They sent me some to try. I like it as sort of the, the base layer. You know, the stuff that your body touches the most, why not make it great? No one has even has to see it. You know that you're wearing the best stuff because it feels better, stinks less, keeps you cooler, feels great. Easy to use the website. I got a polo and I got things that touch my parts that I'm not going to talk about and I like it. <laughs> Bob got some as well a year or two ago yes. and like he's still wearing them. They yes. held up well, like to two years worth of wearing and washing. Um, and the fabric is really nice. Here's the thing. If you're wearing a great pair of underwear, you always feel like you're dressed up. Even if you're just wearing shorts and, and a t-shirt like I am right now, you still feel like, you know what? I've got it together because my base layer is all taken care of. You can also do returns, super simple. I traded in a, a polo, I got the wrong size. I really like one of their polos too. Feels good, antimicrobial, can wear it without an undershirt in the summer and not stink to high heaven. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter code promo code BOOKRIOT at checkout. That's all one word, BOOKRIOT. That's Mel- MacWeldon, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. 
and enter promo code BOOKRIOT at checkout. Also a link in the show notes. Thanks to them for sponsoring this yeah. episode of the show. No, I can vouch for their sweatpants. Okay. Um, yeah, they started, they nice. have a few more sweatpants, hoodies, you know, outerwear type things. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I say if you're, a, if you're a boxer brief person, that's, that's where you should go. That's what I'd recommend. All right. Uh, Barnes & Noble also, as per usual, oh really having it, keeping it high and tight, uh, as you can with <laughs> Mac Weldon. Um, oh, Jeff. <laughs> I didn't say I don't know. It's just, just something. Uh, Already on a day where we're all just a Twitter. A little, more, a little more than a year to the job, Barnes & Noble CEO Deimos Parneros has been fired <laughs> in a classic july 3rd news dump this came out the, yep. the evening of july 3rd barnes noble released a press release saying he was fired without severance for quote-unquote violations of the company's policies um they didn't say any more about that except to say this which is important that the violations mm-hmm. were not related to fraud or financial so like they're saying the market don't, don't our books are still fine this right. guy was just did something else that we can't broach. And it's not just a laying off situation. It's you're not going to get your golden parachute or whatever. You're, you're gone. Big deal, that no severance part. Yeah. That is a big deal. Yeah. And I thought that note about the violations are not related to fraud or any disagreements over financial reporting or practices was a note right about the company's mm-hmm. health, but also provides a clue into like, well, what is going on? Um, which all we can do is speculate. Right. All anyone can do is speculate about it. Um, how broad that might be. I've heard from birdies inside Barnes oh, and Noble. I haven't that, heard, um, okay, wait, well, I got to chin like, hands myself. Okay. I'm ready. Ooh, ooh, all right. Um, not like corporate Barnes and Noble, but I've heard uh, from some booksellers that speculation is around either it's a me too oh, situation uh-huh. or, possibly some insider trading things. These are, again, this is just like oh. speculation, but I I kind of am wondering if it were insider trading stuff, that feels like it's related to fraud. Oh, well, that's, that's a that's a criminal, I mean. Right, I right. I don't know. Right, um, true, that's a criminal thing and you don't just get fired without severance. You're yeah. in more, your water is really boiling at Though that point. Though it doesn't sound, I mean, just using, <laughs> doing some criminology of their phrasing, this doesn't, seem to exclude the possibility of insider trading. Maybe there's True. a criminal thing. Speaking of shoes to drop, maybe there'll be something else that comes later. So it's not related to fraud. I don't know that insider trading falls under the purview of fraud, technically. Nor yeah, do I any don't, disagreements I don't either. So I, um, it could be. Uh, a plain text reading um, would suggest that that's a possibility, yeah. And then it could be many other things. Like the Me Too stuff is in the water right now. I think it's sure. the most av- it's the most available guess when you're wondering why someone got fired for bias. violations of right of, of a company's policies. But Barnes and Noble has policies about all kinds of things. Uh, so I mean, it could be knows. plain old jerkwad stuff too, right? Like sure, you know, uh, regular <laughs> you know original flavor May- jerkwad. Um, well, I don't original know. It's too bad. It's too bad we can't put Jerkwad in a show title yeah. on iTunes. Um, I, I don't know. And for this is a this is a time of Barnes and Noble's life where you really didn't want this much turnover at the top job, right? Man, you just don't. I think it was on our headlines a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't get to it on the show that yeah. Barnes and Noble's revenue went down by a lot in twenty seventeen. Million, something like that. I think when I think that's right. Yeah. When the market was otherwise like the book market was otherwise mm-hmm. up. Um they're, they're just they're having a time yeah. of it yeah. over there. Um I wish there were more information here. I'm curious about whether there will be more or if this is also an extensive NDA situation. Um, but you know it's bad when it's firing without severance. Well I don't know how without severance means there's probably not an NDA like because the severance is usually like a pay to shut up Mm, situation right right? generally Mm -hmm. speaking um now there could be other quid pro quo sorts of things going on but the the sort of um business speak thing is here is like this guy did something real wrong and we don't we don't even care because it's bad enough that a he doesn't want it to come out b if he did we could win in court easily Right. Um, so a company this size, like a $3 million severance just to keep them to shut up is probably usually, I mean, it sounds terrible, but that's money generally well spent just to not have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. This suggests to me that whatever happened was bad enough that this guy is not going to be like, 
oh, by the way, I'm going to sue you for wrongful termination. You know, like, like right, they've got right. all the cards and he's got nothing. And so just hit the high road. Um, when he joined, already he was Barnes & Noble's fourth CEO in five years. That's not a good look. That's a problem. With, I mean, that suggests the CEOs, aren't, the board is a problem. Like Len Rigio mm-hmm. there, he's always sort of in the back of, you know, the, the founder and, you know, longtime CEO who's still, I think, the president of the board or, you know, whatever the corporate structure is. They haven't done a good job finding good CEOs. Like the, at some point, you know, the problem is them, not just that they've rolled snake eyes five out of six sure. times or something well, like this. I don't know. I think it's hard to recruit a good I would CEO think so. for a company that's been floundering for so long and yeah. trying so many things that don't even that don't look like good experiments. Right. Um, you would at this point you're probably looking or should be looking for the kind of CEO who comes in to fix things or who's like a reorg specialist who knows know. how to take it all apart and put it back together. But um, I think it would be incredibly difficult to recruit a CEO away from a successful, like a thriving company and get right. them to come in. Well, to it sounds like they did kind of what they do with, with Parneros is they, they promoted someone who maybe in a normal situation wouldn't be qualified the wrong, but in line for a job like this, because he was an executive mm-hmm. with Staples an office appliance. So to get someone, you got to go. It's kind of like um, if you're a really bad baseball team, you bring up people from the minors sooner than you would otherwise, right? And I think right. that's kind of what they've done here. Maybe they need to think outside the box a little bit with a CEO. Maybe, I don't know, maybe of a... I'm, I'm trying to think of who... Like some, like some small retail company, elevate their COO like mm. four levels above what they should be because you can't get anybody else. Like you're not going to get the CEO of Best Buy to do this job. You're not going right, to get the CEO right. of Walmart. You're not even going to get the, like probably the, I wonder how deep on the depth chart of Walmart you'd have to go to get a Walmart. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like I know, who, who at Walmart would, who would be the first person to say yes if you just start at the top of Walmart's org chart and worked your way down? I, I think you'd go far. I think you would go far. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if you wanted to stay in books, how far down would you have to go like an Indigo? <laughs> Yeah, Amazon. I mean, good luck. Right. Yeah. Um, you someone really have to. Someone would be making a bet on themselves, not Barnes and Noble. I think that's the the situation you'd find yourself in. Mm-hmm. There. Um, is there anything else to say about that? I mean, I don't. I don't think so. There's not. There's not much we know about Parneros being fired or what the reasons for it yeah. were. But it's just this. I think the big story there is really this is like one more brick on the wall of <laughs> or off the wall. I mean. I mean off, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, it's know. one more piece falling from from Barnes & Noble or, or just one more like tally mark in the column of this pattern that Barnes & Noble seems to have of instability. Yeah. Um, every time leadership turns over, n- new ideas get floated, things get approved, projects happen. Barnes & Noble sends press releases about the yeah. big thing they're going to do to save the company. And uh, so far, none of those things has been the silver bullet. So uh, I think, I guess we can expect to, for the next 12 or 18 months of Barnes & Noble coverage to be equally like, yeah. yeah. Well, the board and whatever has to find a new CEO rather than do other things. Um, yeah. And also, I think there's some degree like, I don't know. I was reading um, this book called "Good Boss, Bad Boss," which was funny. And if you like, you know, work stuff, it's a good one. But especially if you have to, if you have a boss or are a boss, it's good. But there's a stat in there of like CEOs and bosses generally get more of the credit and blame than they deserve for mm. a company's success. And I think there might be a little bit of a. It's probably too strong to say rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic thing with getting a new CEO for Barnes & Noble. But at the very least, they're going to be focused on getting this one person installed when their problems exceed one person problems, I guess is for what sure. I'm trying to say there. Mm-hmm. So they have to find this other person, which really won't make as much of a difference to the health of the company as as you might think. But they have to do it anyway. Like I think, or unless Len Regios wants to say, I'm just going to do this for the next three years until we get this thing turned around. Uh, that probably would be, I don't know anything about him, but from, from if it were up to me, I'd say, let's get him in and have him sign a three-year contract mm-hmm. just so that we don't go out yeah, of business while like, we're trying to find a get captain. Some, right, get some stability while you're right. trying to right the ship because it is incredibly distracting and disruptive to have to go after this kind of hire yeah. now when you really do need to be turning the company around. And doing both of those things at once is asking a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, 
another another great sign for the future and health of Barnes and Noble. Um, speaking <sighs> of great signs, please um, so, go. You take this one, okay? Because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to take this one. Either. Why do you think I jumped on explaining the Barnes and Noble thing? I saw it was coming. Oh, I see yeah. you. Okay, so in South Carolina, um, parents community members, and most importantly, members of the Fraternal Order of Police, which is uh, a kind of a union-ish organization. It's not a government organization, but it's a community group of police officers and people who support police officers are challenging two books on summer reading lists there, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas and All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Keeley, um, because they believe those books propagate anti-police feelings. Um, There are four books on this list um, for students taking an English one college prep course. The students only have to choose one book. Um, So they have two other options if they don't want to read All American Boys or The Hate You Give. Um, But members... Uh, members of this protest believe that it's, quote, almost an indoctrination of distrust of police, and we've got to put a stop to that. There are other socioeconomic topics that are available, and they want to focus half of their effort on negativity towards police. That seems odd to me. That's a quote from the president of the Fraternal Order of Police for the Tri-County Lodge Number 3 in South Carolina. Um I think we, I mean, we talk about a lot of what I've referred to on the company, on our staff slack as stupid attempts to ban books. Mm -hmm. We've talked about a lot of those on this show. This one is rises to the level of more important uh, for discussion, I think, than many others, because it's not the police challenging a book, but it might as well be Mm -hmm. like the government is not coming after the hate you give. There's not going to be like a policy that you're going to get thrown in jail for having this on your library shelves. Um, at least that's not the thing they're proposing, but members of the police force who represent this thing coming after books about, um, police violence and especially what the violence that happens against members of the black community from uh, police is like, this. It's just, problematic and wrong and also incredibly short-sighted and tone deaf like the way to make people trust the police more is for the police to say you can't read books about the bad things we've done yeah um it's like this this like this is not the way if the thing that you want is to make young people, especially young black people, feel more comfortable around the police, telling them they can't read stories about the true things that members of their community have experienced at hands of the police is not going to do it. Like gaslighting an entire community via their summer reading list is a terrible plan. And I'm trying to think of anything interesting to say, about. it's almost hard to because it's like... It's just... Yeah. So here's the, the quote that the president of the Fraternal Order Police of the Tri-County Lodge Number no. 3 mm-hmm. told local news. This is in South Carolina. I'm not sure if we said that already. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's almost an indoctrination of distrust of police, and we've got to put a stop to that. There are other socioeconomic topics that are available, and they want to focus half of their effort on negativity towards the police. That seems odd to me. Um, I, you know, sometimes it's just worth say, looking at what people say. An indoctrination mm-hmm. of distrust of police. Um I'm not sure that the people reading these books could trust police less than they do already. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing. I mean, just look that, at it. Like, they think these books are creating a feeling that's not already there, which I think is a, I mean, a pretty good indictment of many police officers and police structures that they think there's not actually a problem. It's the perception of a non-problem that's the problem. Right, like how far out of touch are you Yeah, that when we are many years now into the black lives matter movement and many years into news coverage of police brutality and many years into Mm. say their names that you, how far out of touch are you that you think it's these books that are going to give young black kids the notion that bad things might happen to them at the hands of police officers and how far out of touch do you think they are Mm -hmm. that they're, that the kids aren't, seeing coverage, that they're not on the internet, that they don't know about these social movements. It's just completely out of touch and Mm -hmm. tone deaf and counterproductive. Um, 
Yeah, and and then then the, the I guess the other thing you touched on is that the police are essentially trying to influence the availability of literary material in schools is different than a parent's organization or a PTA member or a parent of a student in a school even saying this just because of the force, because of the, the power structure. Right, right. Um, it's different. Like, it's just well, really, you know, it's really scary. It's, a, it's yeah, scarier it's, than a lot of the things we've seen. Right. It's not like... Um if a church, if members of a church yeah. were challenging a book that presented Christianity in a negative light or showed Christians being anti-gay or something like that, um, because you're not going to get, you don't have to worry that like the pastor of the church right. is going to pull your car over if you're the English teacher and do something to you. But if you're an English teacher or a librarian who has put one of these books on your list, these are police officers are in positions of power in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and should you find yourself in a situation where they have an opportunity to exercise authority over you and they know that you're the one right. <laughs> that put these books on the list, that would be scary. Um, it's also just like, you know, the fraternal order of police, as I said, is not a governmental organization, but many of its members work for governmental mm-hmm. organizations and they do have power from the government. And that this, it, this feels like a misuse of one's authority in the community right. in addition to being just very tone deaf about an effective way to like you, what you're talking about here is a PR problem. Mm-hmm. They're concerned that they're getting bad PR from books like American boys and the hate you give. And that this bad PR is going to make people mistrust the police or yeah. distrust right. the police. Your real optics problem is now you look like the police have no understanding of what's really happening in the world. Yeah, we need to send them the Wikipedia link to, for the Streisand effect. Just just the, the story we wrote about on the site, like really went. I mean, a lot of thousands of people read the story about the South, the Fraternal Order Police trying to strong arm, influence whatever you want to use this book in this particular program. Now, now this is the story. Now this is the story. They did much more harm to the standing and respect people have for, especially this organization by trying to do this than they ever would have engendered by people reading these books. You know, like they just mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't have it. They, they, and the other part of the phrase I wanted to just talk about real quick, that half of their effort, they wanted to focus half of their effort on negativity towards the police. Presenting a book is not necessarily focusing effort and, I think for some, I think if, I don't think this person has read either of these books. Um, I've read The Hate You Give, and it is more complicated than just the police are bad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read it as so well. So that's also a misreading. So not only are you a bad reader, um, you this has all backfired and gone horribly sideways. I hope it doesn't work. The The last sentence of this, a link we'll put in the show notes, the school is reconsidering the book's inclusion in the curriculum following an official request for reconsideration. That could be window dressing, that they have to do it. I don't know if they are. Um, and this is one of those situations where I would be more sympathetic to the school board if they decided to do something because you don't want to mess with your teenage people and cops. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just, it's one thing to t- tell a parent to go F themselves. It's different. This is a different deal. And that's why it feels different because I think it is different. Yeah, you know, it's... The fact that neither of these titles is required reading, yeah. I think, is also important that students only have to read one of four books on the list so they can skip these two if they don't want them. No one is right. no one is being – there's no forced indoctrination here. Nobody has to read yeah. The Hate You Give or American Boys. Um, nobody whose parents don't want them to distrust the police is going to be you know, forced to read this material that might put mm-hmm. ideas in their heads. Um, so they really are going after not indoctrination. They don't want the material to be available. And what the school board does, I think, I would understand a little bit more as well if they backed down because of the police being involved. But what I would love to see is a school board making a very strong statement about refusing to be intimidated Mm. because that's really what this is. Yeah. All right. Um, Maybe we can do both of these these ones. Um, I'm not sure there's much to say about this next one except – that will be, in, I think both of us will be interested. Um, mm-hmm. An Anthony Bourdain biography is forthcoming in 2019. Um, 
described as an authorized portrait of the writer, veteran, chef, and television traveler built from a story shared by those who knew him best, but published by Echo in fall 2019. Um, and it's going to be edited by his longtime collaborator and assistant, Lori mm-hmm. Wooliver. Wooliver? I'm not sure how to say the last name. Sorry, Lori. Um, should be interesting. I wonder the form we take. One of the books I did, I read for the Capote episode of Anthony we did is George Plimpton's Truman Capote, and that's presented as people who knew Capote telling their stories in mm-hmm. their own words, and then the yeah. book is organized by topic. If this is like an oral history yes. of Anthony Bourdain, I am here for I think it. I'm in for it no matter what, um, but that I would especially be interested in, in hearing. Um, so 2019... It's coming out. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I didn't know David Chang, who has a podcast with the Ringer Network, I guess did a Mm -hmm. podcast episode about Bourdain's death, which I am going to listen to because David Chang is interesting. And that that format for people talking about people Mm -hmm. is really fascinating. So I'll put a link in the show notes to this Eater article that also has a link to that podcast episode. I've been trying to make myself feel brave enough to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Like on what what day am I ready to cry? Some mm-hmm. <laughs> really. Um, um, last story. We want to try to get to this. Uh, I want to save it. Well, let's just it's, okay. It's like one note, really. Yeah. Okay. So sure. leisure reading in the U.S. is at an all-time low. Um, The share of Americans who read for pleasure on any given day has fallen by more than 30% since 2004, according to the American Time Use Survey, which comes out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, The steep drop means that aggregate reading time among Americans has fallen from an average of 23 minutes per person per day in 2004 to 17 minutes per person per day in 2017. Um, The declines are higher among men, um, but there is a decline in leisure reading across all age levels, and you can dig Mm -hmm. into this if you want to. Um, The sort of top line, I think this came out while you were on vacation, Um, the top line message, of course, in the world of publishing was like some hand-wringing about like, oh my God, leisure reading is at its lowest, what are we to do? Um, And we had a lot of chatter about it on the Book Riot back channels of like, well, could someone please put this in the context of like, the world is on fire and it's really hard to sit down and read for fun. Um, or at least, I mean, that's a thing that, that I feel. Um, so there's my anecdata. It's a thing that many of our contributors have talked about as well, that like the news is very consuming and anxiety about the news and the world is very consuming. And there's just a lot more to think about that. Um, I find it much harder now, even when I have a big chunk of free time to sit down and like really sink into a book and enjoy that leisure reading. So I guess I feel like I'm not, I'm not terribly surprised that this is the moment where leisure reading is at an all time low. I'm also not terribly concerned about it yet. I don't know. Um, I guess the thing that I, I I don't know, maybe it's, um, beyond the scope, but a lot of the drop has happened over time. Like it's not like over the last two years, it, it took a sharp, sharp dog leg down. Just looking at the the charts, like it's been on its way down since 2003. I don't know why it only goes back that far. I'd, I'd find that interesting. There's a little bit of a downward move over the last two years, but it doesn't seem out of scale with the other downward moves. I'm not sure. It could be that there's something about the last two years. Um, I don't know what it could possibly be that would cause people to feel <laughs> less interested in reading for leisure. Um it just looks to me the story is one of erosion over time. And interestingly, year over year, it looks like women are reading, their their line was, it's broken down by, by gender. Also, they do some stuff about age. Women, especially middle-aged and younger women, their reading is flat over the last couple of years, which would be a counter-narrative to, to the, I saw the talk on Slack about like, mm. I haven't been reading as much. That it's been flat year over year for women suggests that's not necessarily the case. I guess you could say if it weren't for... Um, conditions it would be up you know it's hard to it's hard to see how things would be but this looks more to me like a steadier decline than something over the last 24 months that makes a change that's just looking at the graph oh but jeff i don't want to logic my feelings well i'm not trying i'm not you can still say that you are not reading as much because of the world is on fire i just don't know if that's enough i I, it doesn't seem to be borne out in this very um skeletal data i think 
Now, what I like to do with thing is is to to update your Bayesian priors because if someone had asked me before seeing this, how many minutes does the average person spend reading for leisure per day? I think I would have guessed a number lower than that's presented. Here. I would also. I think that's where my I'm not super worried yeah. about this feeling comes from that. I would not have guessed 24 minutes per day and I would not have guessed 17. I think I would have been like, I don't know, maybe 15, 12 to 15, um, based on just a feeling. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you also look at, I I would look at sort of, it goes back to 2003, 2003 is, er, you know, early days of the internet still where there's no iPhones. We don't have any iPads. Um, Mm -hmm. there is no prestige television, you know, like, as we the streaming services and YouTube and all those things, the other way of 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 casting this is despite all of the internet stuff we've gotten in two thousand three, for pleasure reading is only down thirty well, percent. I think it also depends on how you define pleasure reading. Right. Like, does reading a long form article on a website count? Did you or, did you do that? Like, what is their definition of pleasure reading? I didn't get I that did, far. I didn't you have to get that far a PDF yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, I wasn't feeling that invested, yeah. but I might look I at think, that for next week. Just yeah, to see. I think it's important to note that that like there are forms of at least in the way that I think about reading, there are forms of pleasure reading that are not just picking up a book, um, and those forms exist in magazines. They now exist all over the internet. Um, an audiobook would count to me as pleasure reading as well. Um, that how how and if those things are included in the definition will right. impact you know what the number looks like. Oh, this is I can't I can't do it on the fly here. This is a really deep and awesome methodology document that I just downloaded as a PDF. Um, I'm going to need to break out like my slide rule and everything. I'll look to forward that. to your highlights next week. Yeah. Anyway, take a look at the data. If you've got a different interpretation, I, I'd sure like to see it. Um, and I'm not invalidating anyone's feelings that things are <laughs> terrible because obviously they are. I'm just not so sure that it's in aggregate affecting the amount of time people are, are reading cozy mysteries. I'm just not sure. Can I be not sure? Is that okay? You can be not sure as long as I can know my reading was just fine until November 9th of 2016. That's fine. That's Um, that's our show. Thanks so much to Legendary by Stephanie Garber for sponsoring this week's show. Thanks so much to Mac Weldon. Go to macweldon.com slash bookride to get 20% off your first order and go enter that YA giveaway. Even just to look at the list that Kelly's put together. It's a good list, It's a very interesting list. Um, We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one.